In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. This weekend, the third Sunday of Advent has a name. It's called Gaudete Sunday, from the Latin for rejoice. The name comes from the prayer, which traditionally begins the liturgy on this day which itself quotes from St. Paul, who writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. In some churches, the vestments and the altar hangings today are rose-colored, a tradition reflected in the rose-colored candle you may light in your Advent wreath at home. It is as if, knowing that the Lord is at hand, the church's cheeks are turning rosy with joy. And joy, indeed, is the theme of our readings from Holy Scripture this week, sounded alike in the epistle's ringing exhortation, Rejoice evermore, and by the voice of John the Baptist in the Gospel, rejoicing at the coming of the bridegroom. I want to consider with you this evening this character, John the Baptist, and listen to his voice. He was a real character. John was, clothed in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey, and in his icons he is almost always shown with wild hair. He talked straight, and he set Israel straight. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. His whole life was consecrated to bearing witness to the coming Lord. Even in utero, John bore witness to Christ. Remember how he leaped for joy in his mother's womb when she met her cousin Mary, who was bearing God in her belly. John's whole way of life was directed toward bearing witness to the Lord. It determined what he ate, how he dressed, what he did, and what he said, and it fired him with the courage to speak the truth no matter the cost. And it would, in the end, cost him his head. There's a famous depiction of John the Baptist in the Eisenham altarpiece. He stands sharply contrasted against a dark background, holding a book in one hand, his other arm gesturing to his right, an enormous finger indicating the crucified Jesus. Behind him, his own words are inscribed in Latin. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's the perfect image of John, I think. You could say that his whole life is summed up in his gesture, in that finger pointing away from himself, indicating the truth, pointing toward the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It comes as no surprise to us, then, to find in our Gospel lesson John rejoicing at the news that all are going to Jesus. But of course, it could have been otherwise. Even John's disciples in the story seem unsure of how he's going to respond to this news, that Jesus is gaining more disciples than he. Perhaps they assume that John sees himself in competition with Jesus, 
as a kind of rival prophet vying for followers. Perhaps the news will stir a pang of envy in John, as it might sometimes for you or I, when we learn, say, of the sparkling success of a colleague or a friend that we haven't seen for a while, or see someone's picture-perfect life on social media, or this time of year, on Christmas cards. John's response, though, shows his spiritual maturity. He says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now full. He must increase, but I must decrease. John's response is one of genuine joy, unalloyed with envy. This is what John has been waiting for his whole life, all going to Jesus. He is like the best man at a wedding. Now the groom has arrived, his work is done. He must increase, but I must decrease, he says. It's time for him to step into the background and for Christ to come to the foreground. John's role was to bear witness to the light, and having discharged his role faithfully, he does not mind in the least being overshadowed by the light of Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease, John says with joy. St. Augustine pointed out that these words also apply to the deaths of John and of Jesus. Jesus being lifted up on a cross and so increased that much more, John being decreased by losing his head. This may seem a bit gruesome, but I mention it because John's diminishment will, in the end, become his glory. Indeed, in his icons, John is very often shown bearing his head on a platter as a kind of trophy, which is to say that his very diminishment has become his glory. And this brings me to the central point I want to make, namely that the words of John the Baptist, he must increase but I must decrease, are words you and I must learn to say. They express a kind of law of the spiritual life. In my life, Christ must increase and I must decrease. This is the shape of the Christian life, the pattern of spiritual growth, of being transformed into the likeness of Christ Jesus our Lord. He must increase, but I must decrease. Augustine understood the Baptist words as a call to humility, and so they are. I decrease myself through the humility of confession. Confession in the double sense of confessing my sins, and also in the sense of confessing God as the source of all good things, of praising God. It is my prideful self 
that must decrease by confessing the truth, the truth which St. Paul expresses when he asks, What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? I decrease when I humble myself and praise God for giving me everything that I am and have. And God has increased, as it were, although of course God is perfect in himself and lacks nothing. God has increased when I give God credit, when I glory in God and not in myself. There is, though, a potential misunderstanding we should clear up. It's important to recognize that in saying, I must decrease, it's not the same thing as self-abasement, nor is it a kind of diminishment of my human freedom. On the contrary, Simon Tugwell puts it this way. He says, we are not called to be doormats in the hands of God. We are not called to make ourselves weaker than we are, Tugwell says. Rather, humility is about facing the truth, the whole truth about ourselves, which includes, of course, not only our weaknesses, but also our strengths and our abilities. And these, remembering that these things are things that also come to us as gifts of God. True humility, Tugwell says, comes from the juxtaposition of our strength, our self-sufficiency, with the humble and total reality of God himself. True humility is neither defensive nor self-conscious, but a simple resting on the truth. It's worth emphasizing this point about humility resting on the truth. Because the truth that humility rests upon is objective truth, truth that is beyond myself, truth that is ultimately identical with the reality of God. I will only know myself truly if I'm willing to be confronted by the truth. Or as Rowan Williams puts it, it must be God who tells me who I am. And this point is worth emphasizing, I think, since it stands in stark contrast to the idea, which is very common in our culture, that it is up to me to discover who I am, to speak my voice, to look inside myself and express myself. This is very different from the Christian view of things, which is very alert to the human capacity for self-deception. One of the Desert Fathers could even say that of all the evil suggestions, the most terrible is that of following one's own heart. That's a pretty countercultural idea, isn't it? My heart, on the Christian view of things, is not a reliable guide. Rather, it is, as Holy Scripture says, deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Only God knows the secrets of my heart, since God is closer to me than I am to myself. And this is why it must be God 
who tells me who I am, in Rowan Williams' phrase again. So to say I must decrease means, in part, a willingness to be confronted and called into question by the truth, by the hard edge of the reality of God. I must, he must increase, and I must decrease. The wonderful paradox and joy of the Christian life is also found here. The more I decrease, the more truly myself I become. The more I decrease, and Christ increases in me, the more myself I am. Think of the most humble, the most holy people that you know, the people in whom the life of Jesus shines most clearly. Or think of the saints and all their varied personalities. What are they like? They are not blandly uniform, are they? But they are vividly and uniquely themselves. A real cast of characters, like John the Baptist with his wild hair and rough clothes and strange diet. The more their lives become transparent to the life of Christ, the more themselves they are. The more they decrease, the more they grow. As Augustine puts it, let a person become less in himself so that he may increase in God. Listen to how Augustine develops this beautiful paradox. He says, It is as if a person's eyes were being cured of their former blindness, and he began to see a little bit of light, and the next day saw more of it, and on the third day much more, and further still. It would seem to him that the light were growing. The light nonetheless is perfect whether he can see it or whether he cannot see it. It is like that too with your inner self, Augustine says. You make progress in God, and God seems to grow in you. Yet in fact, you are diminishing, so that you may fall away from your own glory and rise up to the glory of God. These words bring us back again to the joy with which we began. The joy of John the Baptist, the friend of the bridegroom, who rejoiced to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. May you and I share in his joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.